All right, welcome to All Damn Night. I am your host, Brandon Richardson, here with my co-host. Resident expert, Sean. And uh, if you haven't listened to the show before, what we do is we find the uh, the little stories in music history that you don't know, or you might know, but we find the things that you don't know about them. Uh, I do the research part usually. Uh, Sean doesn't know exactly what we're going to talk I about. I have no idea what we're talking about. And we just kind of bullshit back and forth, just like you stay up all damn night with your buddies talking about all the cool things that have happened in uh, in music history. So uh, without further ado, we're going to jump into this week's episode on the greatest music podcast in history. This is All Damn Night. Welcome to All Damn Night. So, Sean. Oh, I'm here. In 1977, the Rolling Stones. Oh, great band. Signed a four-record deal distribution. Signed a four-record distribution deal for roughly 14 million dollars. This was unheard of. This was the, out of the gate. This was in 1977, so okay. they've been at it for a while. This was unheard of in the music business until this point. Think um, like Deion Sanders signing with the Cowboys, like. This was the big break in music signing. This was like when, oh wow, we can really make this much money. Yeah, but I don't, I don't really watch basketball. How dare you? This is prime we're talking about. <laughs> the deal stipulated that one of the albums would be a live record, and it was decided that Canada would be the location for the band and crew to rehearse. That's perform. unfortunate. Why? I'm just no, joking. I'm kidding. I agree. Wait, there's. I'll well, tell you why well, I say why. I think. I think you know why I brought it up. I uh, I wrote this script, and I had to refrain from a lot of Canada bashing. We love our Canadian listeners. Canada is uh, it. It's a fine country. It's a, it it's is, a good country filled it with is good, good people run by complete lunatics. <laughs> Stay tuned for more information. <laughs> uh, a, a wonderful voice on the first lady there. <laughs> That angels can fly. <laughs> the deal stipulated <laughs> that one of the albums would be a live record, uh, and that it was uh, that it would, it would be performed in Canada, and the band crew uh, would perform, rehearse, and record the album in Toronto. So on February twentieth, nineteen seventy-seven, Charlie Watts, Bill Wyman, and Mick Jagger, and the newest member of the band, Ronnie Wood, flew into Toronto and met at Harbor Castle Hotel where the Stones had procured a few floors for their full exclusive use. No cameras, please. A few floors? A few floors. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I heard they had some like crazy parties back in the day. The Rolling Stones? Right. Yes, Sean, thank like, you. Even more, even, <laughs> even more uh, extreme than like the Who. Oh, yeah. No, like they, they were... It, you know what? Um, that's interesting. And doing the reading for this, I, I did a lot of reading before we even started a, a music podcast i believe the, you the uh the stones <laughs> the stones are like my one of my pet history projects and a lot of times there was a lot of the debauchery but it seemed to be a lot of the people around the stones that oh, were doing the debauchery okay. uh, like there was plenty of the stones doing crazy stuff but it wasn't i think they trumped up what the actual guys were doing quite a bit to like push an image like okay yeah um, i think it was it was um it had to i think especially jagger was had to be more controlled because there was just so much going on so much business to be run like so much work to do he's a gold mine too yeah and they're just they're they're through all this lots of crazy stuff but i think there was so much to be done at such a frenetic pace that you 
not everybody could be all fucked up all the time. Right. That makes sense. But, um, oh, we'll get into it in just a second. The the hotel was located uh, next to a beautiful lake, uh, next to beautiful Lake Ontario, and the band looked poised to put in some good work and have some good times here in the temporary home of Toronto. But for the first few days, they were one man short. Yeah, where's Keith? Keith Richards was not set to arrive for another four days. Didn't he? Well, did, didn't he have an affair with like the the Canadian Prime Minister? Oh, we're gonna talk about that. Oh, okay. Very interesting. I'm glad you you know something of that. Uh, not Keith. Okay. Not Keith. But right. we're gonna talk about that. Uh, and uh, as was often the case with Keith at the time, chaos would come with him. Oh wow. So it's well who's known, chaos? A good dude. Uh, it's well known that Keith had a, a, a number of or a, a long-term drug problem. Uh, it started in the mid-60s, uh, at least with like dab. That's when he first started like smoking weed and doing acid and, and dabbling in like mild psychedelics and stuff. Yeah. And a little cocaine here and there. And then he he didn't really have, he said he would like kind of dabble in heroin, but not much. He actually lived for a while with a, um, a couple this is a very weird thing about England in the sixties. A lot of it, they, they were very keen on socialized medicine. Yeah. Weren't they getting pharmaceutical grade drugs? Yeah. They, he lived with a couple that the, if you were, if you registered with the government as a, a heroin addict, the government would supply you with your heroin as a means of like treating your medical condition. Oh wow! And they would even supply you with a little tiny bit of medicinal cocaine like good cocaine yeah and oh, yeah. so keith got in with this um couple that was a junkie couple but he didn't like the coke he didn't like the heroin he would get their little bit of cocaine off them because it was the best cocaine what a around. steal yeah oh good, man smart little businessman keith so it started out with keith dabbling in heroin from this couple and 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 from various guys around on the, on the road uh, he started with he said it was just a good time and then you'd have like the flu the next day but then eventually, before long, it became a creeping and then a crippling problem of addiction. And Keith's wife at the time, Anita Pallenberg, or like his live-in wife, common-law wife, they never like were formally married, um, also struggled with a crippling heroin addiction. In the midst, Another smart business move. Yeah, right? <laughs> In the midst of all this, they had three children. A son named Marlon, born in 1969. A daughter, Angela, born in 1972. You might know her as Angie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and a second son, Tara, who was born the year prior to 1977, 1976, and he would tragically pass away just two months after being born. Uh, he passed away on June 6, 1976 from SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Oh, that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah. In, in life, uh, in Keith's book, Life, he gives a description of um, playing the show the night that he got the news. He was on the road, and he said it never hasn't haunted him. But they played the show that night, and they he got a lot of like negative flack in the press. It was a very strange thing because you could tell he was very regretful and remorseful about being on the road while that happened. But he also said that he didn't know where his son was buried. So I don't know if it was something that was so painful for him that he just couldn't, he can't go back and, and deal with it. But it's that was a strange thing. That is strange. Uh, you know, Robert Plant has a similar situation like that, and he had to split right. up with his wife because of that. It's so. not uncommon where yeah. it becomes such a, a, a 
they, they, breaking point. Because right. yeah. when they looked at each other, Very all they sad. saw was sadness yeah. instead of happiness. But hey. it's not always. But I mean, it's it, it's there's plenty of times where it's. I mean, I think probably the most times it people can fight through it. But even even here, they, Keith and his wife, this wasn't the breaking point for them. But it's a This is just to illustrate um, what a chaotic um, prior few years it had been for Keith Richards. Then he has. Do you think that uh, his drug use influenced the music of the Rolling Stones in any way? Um, or do you think he kept it under control? You or know, maybe Jagger was the the, the key guy. I Keith really Cornerstone. think. Oh no no no! I think he was the riff master. Like he's the guy that okay. writes the riffs. I because their music doesn't seem too druggy. I was gonna say no. It's kind of like think drunk bar music. Yeah, and I yeah. think that um, although uh, it's what, more like psychedelics that do that. Yeah. Because when you're, they're all taking psychedelics on her Satanic Majesty's request, like dog shit album, you can tell, yeah, that those drugs influence their music. Look at Pink Floyd. Even yeah. I would say Some Girls is like a very cocaine record. Okay, yeah. But yeah, in general, did his music was his music um, influenced directly? No, I don't think so. I, I think, so it was just Keith's music. I was thinking. Yeah. I think it's his way of coping with the fame that they had. With oh the, wow. I think he's such an introvert that he just wanted to play guitar, and so to do that, he just numbs everything out with. with Isn't heroin. that interesting? That's kind of like uh, what how Angus Young destri- describes his his early life. Yeah, but Angus was like the strongest he, drug he's ever done is like cigarettes and tea. Yeah, but yeah, but and he he was an introvert, but he just turned into this monster. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I shit. think, but with Keith too, both those guys are are introverts everywhere else but the stage. You know, right, like, right. And I think that was probably the uh, Keith, especially. It was the first guy. Maybe I mean, you could say like Elvis and and those guys were the first the first guys to really be the pop stars, to be the big rock stars. But Keith was the those that was the first generation to really get pushed up to like they're playing arenas every night they're yeah. playing stadiums they yeah. have their own jets like they're they're flying gig to gig because they are making so much money that it's you're going to make more money by renting a jumbo jet <laughs> to fly to the next one it's insane like how popular they got how fast and you know the, just because of their fame and popularity and the sizes of shows they played they drove the technology as well, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it scaled alongside. It grew alongside with the Rolling Stones. They were behind Stones. Hanging Sound. Yes, like they, they were. They're, yes. They're, they were the first crew to really get into like Hanging Sound. And then you start have, you start realizing. Well, wait a minute. Now we're hearing the speakers from the stage yep. earlier than, or way later than we are the speakers right was, in front of us. You know? To people that want to poo-poo the Stones, it's like that was trial by fire. It they really, started really without was. monitors. Oh yeah, they were just like whatever you could hear off the back wall right. was like what you could hear. And like, it was over a decade of this that they, yeah. they improved the sound to being like, yeah, now we're hanging speakers, which was kind of a matter of stage economy too. Like space right. economy right, right. gives Jagger more space to go do his thing. Yeah. And, uh, that, and more people you can get in the venue. More people and... you can get in and you're playing. Now you're not playing dance halls. No, you're playing yeah. like, stadiums like the the jump from what the jump they made was just like and the impact that they had was uh like because like yeah that jump to stadiums made like it was not only our stadiums possible now and look how much money we can make the 
backlash from that created punk music. <laughs> yeah, like there's there. No matter where you turn, they had a they had a, an influence. You know. Yeah. Um, well, I've, he I've, had, I've often said that you know, I, I, jokingly, the Rolling Stones are or you you suck or they're not my favorite band or you know. Oh, how dare you? But you know, you have to acknowledge it's all in jest, and you have to acknowledge that how. These guys were a creative powerhouse like nothing before, and they weren't just music. Well, they were they were they changed the music industry. Yeah. I yeah. think they're the greatest rock and roll band of all time because they. Yes, they. It, I, I, like might, I might. Agree Led Zeppelin was awesome yeah. for six years. They weren't necessarily a rock and roll band. They're heavy metal. Well, like the okay, yeah, they were kind of like the genesis of it. Like yeah. the Beatles were great, but the Beatles were Pop. around for five years, yeah. like something well, like that. Paul's good. Billy, well, Billy's good. The, the third Paul was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth Paul, I'm not so much a fan of. Anyways, the legal troubles that Keith had encountered, uh, mounting and frequent. Uh, 1967, he had been busted. Listen to this. The, this case, is, the case of mounting versus frequent? Yes. <laughs> mounting one. No, uh, check out these charges, in ni- these draconian bullshit charges, man. 1967 in England, uh, he is charged. Uh, he is sentenced to three months for allowing cannabis to be smoked on his property. Where? He ended up uh, in, in England. Huh. And Jagger got in trouble too. They end, I think they both ended up getting, I think Keith ended up getting a year sentence. And then it, like the next day it got, it got overturned. And it's so they got like out. when Willie Nelson gets busted, they kind of make a martyr out of him. It, I think it sends a message. This is going to sound but, messed up, but it's kind of more akin, like they would be the way that, people look at like post malone nowadays is how they would look at i've heard that name but i don't even know like all these soundcloud rappers that are all pilled out and they think they look crazy like that's how these people would have been looking at keith richards back then okay they they, i mean he does kind of look like they would just like think like and they tried it was such a big deal they the deal was they found some roaches and like these little the the butts of of marijuana joints they left roaches from roaches from doing the pot they they had left some roaches from doing the pot. No, they had found some some remnants of marijuana joints that they weren't even like actively smoking at the time. They call it a roach because it resembles. It looks like a like little a cockroach. So we're told. Yeah. Uh, they 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 found the they found those in an ashtray, and that was enough to. And they found a, a Mars bar, and in the press, it was, they had Mars bars there to help. They would eat sugar to come down from their acid. Oh, oh wow! But they how smart? Imagine how. So this is how salacious <laughs> how the press was at the time. They said right, very, 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 very uh, not not so healthy, but at least like they had something going on. But the press reported that the Mars bar has was being used as like a sexual implement at their crazy parties. You're you just know, like what? what? What the fuck? I know. You know. Uh, it was a, there's a famous article called "Breaking a, Who Breaks a Butterfly on a Wheel" about like how this all went down and the the blowback from it and how the stones got out. So it's a, it's a famous article that was released in this in the 1960s. You can check that out. That's a seminal kind of turning point in the cultural mindset of how people perceived at least um, kind of how how they perceived rock and roll, how they perceived the war on drugs, how they perceived the how maybe draconian some of these laws were. 
Um, anyhow, uh, twice in 1973, Keith had been busted for more possession uh, of heroin and cocaine charges. Do you think that this was maybe just a political stunt? Uh, absolutely. All this stuff was. Okay. Yeah, 100%. All political driven. Okay. None of this was in the interest of public safety. Like, what is it? What does, does locking up Keith Richards make you any safer? It turns you into the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, well, and it, like, it's, it's just, com- yeah, it's complete politics and complete just making a show out of the, they would just rough Keith up coming home from a club. They would push him up against the wall, frisk him and see what he had on him. So he could never carry anything on him. Huh. It'd be just, this is his whole life. And I'm not saying like poor Keith, like you shouldn't do heroin. Heroin's bad for you. But these, this, the way this was handled, I mean, from the, from the door, this is a real statement on, this is a study in the inefficacy of the war on drugs for sure. That's uh, no no question. It's it's not a political well, preachy episode, lack, lack but it's just saying like, war. look how yeah. this look how this is treated. Uh, and then in 1976, he had invaded, he had evaded trouble in uh, in Arkansas. Uh, great story there, but he had they had been temporarily detained. Arkansas? They had drove to a um, they had driven uh, to a show on their way to Houston and were detained with a car full. Of quaaludes and cocaine and pot. Aren't they counterfeit quaaludes? No, I mean, the Stones didn't get counterfeit oh, quaaludes. Wow, okay. They got the real deal horse tranquilizers. Ah. No, but um, he, they had ended up uh, evading the law there. Good lawyer got him off. Uh, so no trouble on the record there. Then. Well, I mean, the, the gloves didn't fit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You must acquit. <laughs> uh, the Stones had faced. So, so Keith. Legal troubles were frequent. Even if they weren't formal, he was always being searched down by cops, always being uh, watched by different intelligence agencies. Um, they really were they seriously thinking that he was running these these underground drug rings? And uh, I, man, <laughs> I wonder. There's times. There's things like with McCarthyism. Do they seriously think that John Lennon was a communist? Yeah, John Lennon was a little fucking commie. Okay, I get that, but like. I get believing that because he was a little fucking commie and he was a little, he was a little fucking nutbag. Not saying he wasn't a great songwriter and a great musician. Well, I mean, he's second best. He was, yeah, so. not, he's not, he's no Paul number five. Yeah. But I can understand like maybe if you are really worried about, if you, if you were in the 1950s and trying to stop this red wave, maybe you do look at these people and you, Maybe they did believe that these people were really involved in. I don't. I don't agree with McCarthyism. I don't so agree with the Red Scare. So many people looked up to John Lennon, though. Well, yeah, because but he thing. was a real shitty person. Yeah, I guess, uh, and just a was fucking, Keith Richards a shitty guy? No, I don't think Keith Richards was. A, I think he was okay. an irresponsible, lost young man. But okay. I, don't, I don't think. We're, no, no, we're bad forgetting guy. that they were what twenty five, twenty like thirty years old at this point. During this point in nineteen seventy seven. Um, I believe he was in his early 30s, early maybe 30s. mid 30s. And yeah, so they this had all begun when they were in their very late teens, uh very late teens, maybe 20, but how, very, how very long has their, their band been going now? What, what, like 60, Since, 70 years? Uh it's been they celebrated their 50th anniversary in what 2014? Oh wow. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Man. They've been around for a very. That's why I say they're the greatest. It's all still it's like, the original members. No, I mean they they don't have the bass player uh, Bill Wyman. Um, he's been replaced for about twenty five years. He he left the band just because he was just tired. It just been he'd been at it for about twenty five years. And uh, but other yeah, they got Charlie Watts. He's been their original drummer. Charlie what Watts a cool is the, fucking they, guy though to just be like you know what. 
Yeah, I'm, Bill Wyman is I'm known for set. being like Mr. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I've but, had enough of this Rolling Stones nonsense. The, yeah. What they've been able to, to keep a band together for 10 years is insane. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. to keep it together for 50 years is something else. But it that is brings like us hurting to cats. But they had the infrastructure to do it. Yeah, it sure helps when you get million yeah. dollars. Yeah. In a staff. But they had faced a lot of problems even in the even in the 70s. Like this is 1977, they're doing well. They've signed this big record contract, but there's a lot of doubters now. Like a lot of people are saying they're an overinflated machine, that they're past their prime, that now they've gotten they've essentially gotten fat like that not they, they've become right, fat right, and lazy right. they're they're wa- they're they're bloated rock stars um their wallets the, it, are fat and they're not motivated yeah and in the yeah. last in the last decade this is just a few things that had happened they'd, they'd lost brian jones their original lead guitarist okay they've been on countless tours had countless drug busts they fired and lost bobby keys their longtime saxophone player uh they hired and then lost mick taylor who was one of the best guitar players of all time right who got with them and then left and within a matter of three years i believe they had tax problems that were so severe they had to move out of england oh that's right that's how exile on main street was okay. created because they were they were taxed so heavily that they were going to just lose millions of dollars paying the government back right on these taxes like it was just insane so they had to move to france um so they are coming off all this trouble keith flies in on a plane four days later after the rest of the band. They get off the plane. On the plane, Keith needed to do a little bit of a bump to well, get course. himself evened yeah. out. So he goes into the bathroom on the plane, uses the spoon, heats up his heroin, does a shot, comes back out. Somehow the spoon ends up in Anita's bag. When they're getting off the plane, they find a, plane, they find a spoon with scorched residue in Anita's bag, and they find a little bit more weed. And so they bust Anita and they take her to jail. They don't find anything on Keith because all the rest of his stuff, he did everything he had. All the rest of his stuff was in the luggage supply. So Keith got away to the hotel. So he gets his luggage, brings it up to the hotel room, does a little bit and passes out. And when he wakes up, the RCMP, the, Mount, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties, uh, like Dudley, dude, right? Did they have the horses in the hotel? Yes. Okay. It was hard to get them in there, and he was so stoned on heroin. The elevator. The horses didn't wake him up. Oh, wow. No, but he, they, horses were not there. Have you seen a dog in an elevator? Imagine what a horse would do. It'd be rough. Let alone multiple horses. It'd be tough. Yeah. Uh, in costume. <laughs> they had the little hats on uh but the mounties were shaking disguises well they had to wake keith up because you can't arrest uh, uh, an unconscious person it, get out of here they had to wake him up is that a thing still yeah they, they, i had they couldn't they, i'm calling shenanigans i'm calling shenanigans that's his account even in america like i i would i would totally assume that a person could be arrested this is canada man anything goes in canada oh no, i guess you're right well they were tearing apart his room and they ended up finding about an ounce of heroin stashed in his suitcase and he said this is no an more than a man needs but is certainly a shitload his he said <laughs> no more than a man needs but certainly not enough to feed the city <laughs> i mean he's right he's right <laughs> he's right but good lord well upon <laughs> testing Got even more problematic. The Mounties discovered this was not the heroin they'd been encountering on the streets of Canada. This was good stuff. This was the high-class London stuff. No offense, Canada. Yeah. Uh, also found under another substance. Another. Uh, they also found another substance later discovered to be cocaine. Go figure, right? Right. <laughs> like, what'd you think it was? Uh, 
<laughs> a charge charge with possession with intent to distribute. Uh, Anita he, oh, Keith was charged with possession now. with intent to distribute, and Anita was charged with possession of heroin and cannabis. This coincided with a government wide crackdown. They was faced. This ended up. It's called. It was called the um, war. It was basically Canada's answer to the war on drugs, called the Narcotic Control Act. It was initiated in 1961. Uh, it, it was he. This meant like super. Big crackdowns, super tough sentencing on drug charges. So Keith was facing seven years to life in prison. That's so fucked. Isn't it just, I mean, just oh, fucking man. ridiculous. I mean, yeah, heroin's terrible. You shouldn't yeah. do it un- nope. without the, you know, un- supervision of a, a, a professional doctor. Yeah, if you need or, morphine, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, or, yeah, there's many uses for it. Yeah, go ahead. But uh, it's just super dangerous, super bad, and it causes a whole fucking shit ton of problems on the street you know so nobody's saying the heroin's good yeah but we're saying but still this is not giving somebody a life sentence right is good insanity god the act, especially keith fucking richards the act would uh it was an it was instated instant in 1961 and it would not be repealed until 1994 uh, in 1977, so this is a real shit when, situation to be well, in. In the meantime, what was Keith doing? He was just on probation, or what? Well, that's where. I, so pre-trial, he's stuck in. He's stuck kind of under arrest in his hotel room, and they'd taken his heroin, guarded so by horses. There was a real right. There's a real um, kind of touching moment in the book in, in life where he had to ask Bill Wyman, the bass player. Because he can't leave his room, so he has to ask Bill to go score him some heroin on the streets of Canada, just to make, just so he won't get sick. Yeah, just so he won't just shut like, down physically. And you're saying sick, what they don't, what the listeners may not understand, vomiting is and shitting at the same time, literally like, unable to function. Yeah, like yeah. you're, you're not going to die, coming but, out of both yeah, ends at the same yeah. time, not able to get out of bed. Right, and and so. Bill ends up going. It's weird that getting heroin for somebody would be a touching act, but it was like a real risk for him to take. And it, but it was like a real service to a friend. It was the only answer at the time. Like it's what they had to do. Is what yeah. they had to do. Yeah. yeah. And it was it's messed up, but it was a very bizarre situation. And that, but he he that's what ended up happening. So the treatment after after uh, posting twenty five thousand dollars in cash bail. He was allowed to retain his passport and seek treatment in the United States. Uh, he was $25,000 in 1970s. Cash. Money? Holy cash shit. Cash money. What did he do? Sell his other ounce? Dude, seriously. <laughs> Sell the ounce he didn't find? Well, he went to a detox center in Philly first. And he, he like he kind of kayfabed or like faked his way through a lot of this. He went to the detox center in Philly, did his time there to like get clean, and they gave him the medicine the, uh, the methadone to come down safely off of the, off of the heroin. Then he was sent to Stevens Psychiatric Center in New York City, where he did this um, electrostimulation therapy that was recommended by Eric Clapton, where they hooked this little black box with well, electrodes. That's, that's a, why would you listen to Eric Clapton first of all? He got, he got him off heroin. <laughs> if you're gonna, yeah, I mean, one thing here, two things he knows about: guitar and getting off heroin. <laughs> I thought I thought cocaine was his his cup of tea. No, 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 that's just the song, man. The, okay, Clapton and loved heroin. Maybe that era. Okay, all right. I Clapton loved heroin. There's a big part in Clapton's book where he talks about how the dogs would just shit on the floor in his house all the time, and like he just never didn't care. It's awful. It's pretty bad. Those poor dogs. But he so uh, the thing that helped him and that he recommended to Keith and Keith did was hooking these electrodes up to your ear, and it's under the, like the care of a, this specific psychiatrist um, that had been 
oh, I forgot to get her name, but uh, she had been recommended by Clapton. Um, it may be good to be that I forgot to get her name because Keith mentions in the book about how she had kind of like, he didn't feel he needed psychiatric care. He just needed this chemical treatment. So he would sip Jack Daniels and do these electrodes and that would like get him off the heroin. That got him off the heroin. Okay. But she would come in and do like his talking treatment, right? Like, how do you feel and stuff? But eventually after like one session, he was like, listen, just have a drink with me. Like, let's just hang out. And she was like, okay. And like, she would have like a vodka and he would like a whiskey and they would just like hang out for an hour and then she would leave. So that's like, I mean, that's a therapist I would go. Yeah, sure. So, uh, they were there to record after all a live album. So after all this goes down, this all happens in, uh, in February. So yeah, they had to go through all these motions because 14 fucking million dollars was on the line. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this was like, after all this, like with Keith facing seven years to life, that means no more Rolling Stones. Like, right. No Keith, no Stones. Uh, no matter what Mick wants to think. You can't spell Stones without Keith. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Sean, resident expert, spelling champion. Live at El Macumbo, the album they recorded. This is an excellent album if you haven't, if you haven't listened to it. One of, if, one of the best rock live albums ever. It's recorded wow. in like a little, uh, like a small club. So it's got this like punk rock feel, but also like old school uh, juke house feel to it. But it's also in Canada, so it's also like real hipster heavy. Or it's in Toronto, so it's all like real hipster. It's a it's a kicking concert. That sounds great. It is killer. Real stripped down, awesome. They had a special guest at the. Uh, Keith actually said that it was one, some of his favorite shows. Um, March, Mar- they were recorded March fourth and fifth. Keith said that some some of his favorite shows. They were like the old days at the Crawdaddy. The Crawdaddy was like the go. first place they had right. played, and he said it was the first time in a long time they'd had that small venue, same energy back from the crowd. Like they were they were digging at that show. That's and you what can Robert hear it on the Plant record. loves doing now, and just little tiny little places where he can hit his tambourine and sing. So it's like that, but like about with way more heroin <laughs> yeah. and like a life sentence looming over him. Yeah. So, an uh, interesting tidbit here that you mentioned earlier, special guest at the invitation of the band at that show, Miss Sophie Trudeau. Okay. Who, All right. Uh, was who the was, wife of Pierre Trudeau, who was a longtime uh, prime minister for Canada. There we go. John Lennon, stupid little commie, said that <laughs> he, he, if all politicians were like Pierre Trudeau. Funny uh, little story. Uh, he who was also a stupid little commie. John Lennon used to live across the street, uh, across the river from uh, Billy Joel in Manhattan. How about that? That's a very, very good story. Yeah. yeah. As a fan, there you go. Story. Yeah. Whatever happened to John Lennon? Uh, look, we should, someone should okay, ask Billy I'm Joel. Okay, a little harsh on John Lennon yeah. here. I'm just saying, Imagine is a stupid song. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, this is understood. All right. So, there was a big story in the news that um, Sophie Trudeau, uh, who's also, yes, we should mention this, also, uh, she's the mother of Justin Trudeau, who is the current prime minister of canada okay uh he looks like a gap jeans model <laughs> i don't know what the canadian version of gap jeans is but he he was a former snowboard instructor gap a eh? former uh yeah gape uh, again canada wonderful country filled with wonderful people justin trudeau's just super weird right you saw that picture of him in india that's I crazy did man see that it seemed like uh if they were out on the street in india they would be made fun of yeah 
Super weird, right? Yeah. Be, it seemed like coming to Texas and like dressing up in like a ten down, ten gallon hat with like cowboy boots and jeans to tucked be in your boots. Fair. <laughs> there are many places where that is acceptable. Okay, that was a poor example. <laughs> fair enough. But in India, they looked weird. Uh, yes. It, well, more or less, it's like going to India dressed in a ten gallon hat. <laughs> very. Oh, very good. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> it still makes no sense. And you and, right. and Sean had never seen. There's a famous or like an infamous video of uh, of uh, oh god his wife Sophie Trudeau this singing this song that she had cringe-worthy. wrote she had written for their children or something and she but it was at this event for other people right like, honoring it was this, not about her not about her no and she decided to steal the spotlight <laughs> yeah. and I sent it was they so had, bad like, they had like famous musicians yeah performing and then she was like hang on guys I, I'm, I'm gonna immediately send it to Sean <laughs> Sean what was your we're gonna do a concert companion on it I don't feel worry bad saying this publicly I we're feel gonna like, have to say I publicly feel, i feel eventually. like i might get in trouble here <laughs> oh don't worry she can't do anything to you oh man so first of all those poor people were forced to listen no kidding those poor people the people at the event were forced to listen to this 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 lunatic sing <laughs> sing sing this 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 she sea shanty I, I think yeah. and anyways so like I, I I had this thought I I know it's terrible but like I imagine that it, she got this ridiculous song and well first of all I don't want to hear my leadership speak of well, themselves sing. in a weak position no. whatsoever and sing. then the the only thing they can do is just just to sing this song to their infant child that makes no sense that poor child is going to grow up to just be a terrorist. He must be very confused. Go terrorist. <laughs> but, but I, 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 I truly imagine that uh, on the back of if if on the back of one of their like family photos, framed in their living room, they're gonna find like a suicide note from her that she didn't go through with, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, then, <laughs> and then I mean, I'm sorry, but then it's gonna be like the song written on the back, and it's like you know, thank you all, and you know. All It'll this. have like a little key notation, <laughs> but, they, like... but they won't find it until the until Justin Trude- Trudeau Trudeau's next wife <laughs> makes him cl- get closure and get rid of all the old folks. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here for first, folks. Sean's hardcore predictions for Canadian God, politics. God, I'm cutting that out. I'm gonna no, no, no. I'm gonna say I will stand with that. I don't think that. I think that's probably the most accurate prediction I have ever heard. <laughs> So uh, I'm really not that big of a monster. I just it, this was just like at my South Park moment. Just you know? saying, man. Once you see that video, which there will be a concert companion of, I think you will all agree with Sean's <laughs> assessment. It is terrifying, insanity. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, dragons don't scare me. Ghosts don't scare me. But insanity and lack of conscience definitely scares me. Dead eyes <laughs> tend to frighten me. Uh, so Margaret Margaret Trudeau uh, threw a threw a party for the band at the hotel afterwards, and there was a lot of rumors in the press because she had been she had been spotted walking up and down the hallway of the hotel in a bathrobe. Like oh wow yeah and they were going so they're going like well she's running around with Mick she's running around with Mick and in Ronnie oh, Woods Mick book and Keith and Ronnie and no it was just Ronnie like <laughs> oh, he wow. he has a whole little thing about how like it was just this real brief well, period uh, of time to be fair they had their own floor for each band member and it was a weird like 
all the rest of the band was kind of like, what the hell are you doing? Like, we don't, we, we have a drug case and we don't really need like the paparazzi <laughs> videotape, like phot- photographing you with the first lady of Canada. Can you maybe chill out? <laughs> but I think at the seventies, it was in the seventies. It was just like, hey. well, free love. Um, yeah. To see here. Uh, so she was running I around. I guess it's running. even more free in Canada. This, uh, in, in, Keith's summation of the entire thing is is that it was the worst, in his book, he says it was the worst combination of circumstances. Trudeau's bide was seen walking around in the corridors and bathrobe. It was ridiculous. And I've always, so this has led me to posit, is Justin Trudeau Ronnie Wood's stepson? He probably is. Nope, not cool enough. Oh, I know. I thought okay. that for a long time. And I looked at the date of birth. You he know, was born in 71, right. so okay. it doesn't line up, unfortunately. Well, see, yeah. You, 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 if, even if you didn't know you were the, the offspring of any Rolling Stone, and you'd still have... There's probably a lot of people you, you, out there. A lot there of cool are, guys, yeah, you know? There are probably a lot of good guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, probably a lot of, like, inordinately good rooster walkers. Like, how's that guy rooster walk so good? <laughs> He doesn't know his dad. Like his mom won't talk about it. Why so does he, why does he why does he kind of look like a more masculine um, Stephen Tyler? <laughs> well, <laughs> so the situation as is. So let's take a look at it. It could be the end of the band. Seven years or longer without Keith. No, I, I doubt it. Well, if Keith goes to prison for life, I don't think he's going to prison. But if he does, this okay. is what's on. This is what's on the line. Okay. If if they decide to send Keith to prison for life, which is what the prosecution is seeking to do, they want maximum penalties. So seven years even without Keith could spell the end of the band. Keith's family is in turmoil. His kids are having to be and take care of during all of this. His wife is also having to receive treatment for addiction. So both of the kids are in a, a essentially like family of friends of family care. Oh wow! Until all this is is worked out. During all this, Keith is having to re- write a new album and record the El Macumbo and master the El Macumbo album. And probably most importantly. He's near death after a year of addiction. Oh, wow. After after ten years of addiction. Yeah, like the, he is almost. He hasn't dead. got much left over. Not yeah. many people look at look in the batteries history. are not very charged. Look at the history of rock and roll. People on heroin like that last a matter of years. The fact that someone is last, he might have the record for lasting some of the longest. Very few people last a decade of heroin abuse without overdosing and dying. Uh, who was the the last guy we talked about? Uh, in, uh, Sid Vicious, who he lasted what? A matter of years, two years. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, and it's not it's not commending Keith for that, but it's saying like this guy was in at the end of his rope. This was a man like really uh, a sick guy. Like I don't mean I mean I don't mean a sick, but like he was ill. Like he was yeah. he was really struggling, and uh, so his after all this, his trial took place um, December nineteen seventy seven. There was a preliminary hearing. Keith initially elect you can in Canada you can elect to have trial by judge and jury or to be tried by just the judge. That's cool. Okay. No, it's stupid. I mean, but, I mean it gives you one more chance. I mean, no, no, no. You can either choose to have your heard have your case heard by just the judge <clears throat> or you can choose to have a jury trial. I mean, I'm all for it. Sean, it's a <laughs> fundamental misunderstanding of the legal system. All that night does not endorse the Canadian legal system. Change, he, uh, he changed this. Do to, they wear the wigs in Canada too? Oh my gosh. I don't know. They don't, but in England they do. And yeah. England's uh, refer to the Archie Bunker quote on England, from my opinion. 
Uh, <laughs> he he, uh, he changed this uh, initial preference to trial by judge alone uh, and entered a guilty plea on October 23rd, 1978. So trial by combat? Was yes, not, absolutely. Not so he got option? a big giant sword. Okay. No, he changed. He changed to a judge alone and changed it to a guilty plea. Uh, that's on October twenty third. The next day was his sentencing. So Keith Richards testified at his sentencing. Uh, he said that he began his heroin use in nineteen sixty nine, and he had used it to cope with things that were going on in his life. That he was uh, had worked his way up to two and a half grams of heroin a day. Holy shit. Uh, Paul Kennedy, who was the crown attorney, uh, still like the Canadian legal system? You like crown attorneys, Sean? I mean, I didn't say I like the crown. whole legal system. Sean, I, just, I like the Canada-loving right. <laughs> demurs. For reference, can we Google real quick? Yeah, what side of the fence are you on here? First you bash Canada, <laughs> and then you're like, actually, that's a good idea. Uh, like a gram of heroin to, to for, you know, what, what do they call it? A reference point? Yeah. For the listener, how much do you think that is? A couple thousand dollars? No, no, Graham, it's like a couple. It's it's expensive. It's like, I think it's pref- uh, comparable to like other drugs where it's like a hundred bucks or something like that. It's a couple oh, wow. hundred bucks of cocaine. A, I mean, a couple hundred bucks of heroin a day. Still, that's a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. a shit. That's just the heroin, not including the cocaine. Oh, yeah. You know, like he said in his book, he said that he slept twice a week for a decade. So did um, uh, Nostradamus. And it worked out great for both of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul Kennedy, the crown attorney. Was it uh, Mr. Thomas? Or uh, Napoleon. Na- Napoleon, Napoleon said he and, slept uh, four um, hours a night. What's his name? Margaret, Th- Margaret Thra- Thatcher. Oh, Margaret Thatcher, four and, hours um, a night, yeah. Um, da Vinci. Jeff Bezos, that little Amazon weirdo. I thought you were going to say Je- Je- <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Garcia, <laughs> famed former 49ers quarterback. <laughs> Uh, so 19 uh, I don't know any more Jeffs anyways Paul Kennedy the crown attorney who Sean loves (laughs) saw saw up to a year in jail for Keith Uh, even after the guilty plea he said this guy still needs to go to jail for a year and the judge to his credit said no there's no need for this this is kind of weird Uh, he said for two reasons see one one that I agree with okay one that I see what you think about this one that I agree with one that's kind of weird but he's right um, he said that Keith was already under treatment, and the treatment was was evidently successful. Like he hadn't been using in the interim between his uh, since he had initiated treatment, he had remained sober more or less. He'd Rolling Stones sober. I'd, He'd I'd remained like to... 1977 Rolling Stones sober, <laughs> I, which I, is 2018 <laughs> wasted, yes. but it's 1977 sober. I'd also like to add that uh, he did not choose to do this. He was forced by the is disease. I mean, yeah, he, at this point, this is like yeah. a guy with a, with a sickness yeah. for sure. And he's, he, he's not necessarily wasted every day. He said like the, the, the heroin just becomes like your daily bread as a junkie. It's like, you don't even get okay. high. It's right. just what you need to not get sick. Right. And so that's where he's at. The judge said, well, he's obviously combating that and he's doing his best to get his life together. And his life is coming together. And his other reasoning so he said, like, we don't need to throw him in this jail while all this is going on. His other reasoning <laughs> is that he's super fucking rich, so he doesn't need to sell drugs, stupid. <laughs> oh, what yeah. an awesome, yeah, dude. awesome point. <laughs> he was like, well, he's Keith Richards, so, like, he's, he's got bank, dude. Why like, is he going to sell, sell drugs? drugs? Right. Which is, uh, oh, man. He's right. Yeah. It's kind of a weird point, this but he's right. great. Uh, actually, and one... Uh, one thing that might, might have been like the most critical argument 
was when a, a, a fan of the Stones testified, a, a young lady named Rita Bedard. And she was blind, and she had followed the Stones uh, years prior on their, on their concert tours. And Keith had made a point of making sure after shows, because people would like follow them around informally, groups would follow them informally on their tours, and he would make sure that she had a ride with people who would take care of her. Cool. And she had, like, yeah. That's he, yeah. every show, and he was he made he called he called her his blind angel, huh. and every everything he made sure she was always taken care of because he knew she was vulnerable, and right. so she testified at this at this hearing for like his and character, said, like yeah, said this okay. is a good guy, like he's got his problems, but this guy, like he he made sure that I was taken care of, right. and he went out of his way, and um, so that he in the in the book he makes a real you could tell he has a real soft spot in his heart for her, and like he he makes a real point of saying what a critical thing that was for her and how important that was for him. Cool. Yeah. Very Man, cool. That is a so, nice little anecdote. Right absolutely. There. Uh, so a tear he was, to your eye. he was released with a, a year's probation and he had to wait a year. The, 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 the state, essentially the, what we, the state, the pro, the, the prosecution appealed that okay. and said that so, so for another year, it was, oh, you might, you still might have to go to jail for a year. That's such horse So shit. he recorded some girls under that kind of sort of Damocles. That's a heavy weight to carry yeah. around. So he's got that carried around. He ended up getting cleared. Uh, stayed, again, relatively clean. <laughs> uh, recorded the Stones' most successful was he album. heroin? He got off okay. heroin. Didn't go so back to heroin after that. And, and, and just, just some little drinking right. and a little nose beers and okay. some uh, uh, nose beers. <laughs> somebody called him that. I forget who I heard call him that, but it was funny. Uh, and he, he, some girls' most most successful Rolling Stones album okay. of all time, uh, which is saying a lot. And yeah. a real creative departure for them. So he took a, a, an entire uh, creative turn like they had turned that was a real punk new age disco Kinda like album. the revolver versus rubber yeah Soul. they took a yeah. whole different tact on what they were doing and and to do that in the middle of all this other chaos like people underestimate that if you want a musical representation of this time uh check out the song before they make me run from some girls it is um sung by keith written by keith he spent 10 days straight doing cocaine and recording this song stayed up for 10 days and then he ended up passing out of the control board, whacking his head on the table, and put a big gash in his head. Oh, man. And he woke up underneath the table while doing some more mixing on it, and he had been doing, he had a bunch of cocaine on him. <laughs> in Paris, this is where they recorded some girls, and the the Paris, uh, the Parisian police band had come into the studio and were tuning up all their brass instruments and stuff. Whoa, and that's what woke him up. <laughs> oh and so he said that he just decided. Nope, everybody forgot about Keith? No, he, he said like, oh no, table? what am I going to do? Oh, I, like, I've got shit. all this blow on me. And he's like, so I did the most, the one thing that will weird French people out. He's like, I did, I just acted as English as possible. <laughs> he like, he just jumped up and he was like, terribly sorry, terribly sorry. Good to see you, good to see you. Oh, thank you, thank you. And just ran out. And like, all those French guys were just like, well, that was a weird English guy. And yeah, who the fuck was that? Never saw him again. So that'll be plenty more Rolling Stones stories to come. And we hope you've enjoyed this one. Uh, plenty more music history stories to come for you. Be sure to check out our new a super popular emerging series concert companion. We're getting another show yes, out there for you. We have YouTube a blast doing it. Series yeah. coming soon. We think uh, we, you are, we're, we have more time now. We've got more time. Things are uh, progressing nicely, yeah. and uh, we think we got some really good content coming up for you. We think you're going to enjoy it. So uh, keep coming back, checking us out. Greatest music podcast in history. 
This is all damn night.